Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. I want to thank the church for uh, your leadership, gave my wife and I a generous gift to help with moving expenses. And after eight months' delay, we're finally in our new house. We're praising the Lord. Now, there's a mountain of boxes, but we're happy to be in the new house. Last week, we looked at Romans 13. In light of the Supreme Court rulings, there were three specifically last week, abortion, religious funding of education, gun laws in New York. This past week, There was another ruling dealing with prayer and if prayer is acceptable in a public setting, in a public school setting. But what we learned from Romans 13 is that the government, is that the government is called the minister and servant of God just as I am. Right? The government is called a minister and servant of God just as I am. The Bible, we learned that we are to be subject to all governing authorities because all authority is by God's will, either his active will or passive will. They have, the government has the authority to punish evil and to reward good. They govern, though, and we learned, this is important, that they only govern over the last six commandments, which are summarized in the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If the government ever tries to impose laws dealing with the first four commandments, which is our relationship with God, they have overstepped their jurisdiction. And all of that is found in Romans chapter 13. And we also noted that the government, just like a regular minister like myself, they are not infallible. They aren't infallible. So when they get it right, we thank God. And when they get it wrong, we trust God. Either way, our focus is not on the donkey or on the elephant, but on the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But today I want to talk to you in light of 4th of July and in light of what we studied last week, I want to talk to you about freedom and choice. There's freedom, there's choice, and they interact with each other. And it's a delicate balance, the dance between both of them. To illustrate this, I want us to open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis, chapter 2. The book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, second chapter. Genesis, chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Pay attention to who is talking and to whom he is talking to. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The Lord God did this, right? The Lord God put the man in the Garden of Eden, and he gave him a job. You are to tend and keep the garden, verse 16. And then the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God put Adam and Eve in the garden. God told Adam and Eve, not to eat of the tree, because the day they eat of it, they will surely die. And now chapter 3 explains, and we're not going to look at it, hopefully we know the story, but I'm going to summarize it. 
Chapter 3 explains that just like a two-year-old, you tell them not to do something, and the very first thing they do is what they've been told not to do. And we know the story, and this is why we're in the mess. We're in the mess right now. This is why there is sin has come into the world, because both our parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed the commandment of God and brought us into the mess that you and I deal with, where we have to deal with church members losing parents, where we have to deal with church members injuring themselves, where we have to deal with pain and illness and disagreement and, and, and the evils that we see in the world. And so we know exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3. She entered into a conversation with the enemy. He convinced her to disobey God. She gave of the fruit to Adam. He knowingly disobeyed God. And we're in the mess today. But let me ask you a few questions concerning. And I'm going to pause after every question. And you don't have to answer out loud. But answer in your mind. Who put the tree in the garden? Who allowed Satan to be at the tree? Who didn't stop Adam and Eve from taking of the forbidden fruit? Why did he allow it to happen? All of those questions are answered by one word. God. God put the tree in the garden. God allowed Satan to be at the tree. God didn't stop Adam and Eve from taking of the fruit. God values your choices. God is not going to force your choices. And so that was there as a small test to prove whether Adam and Eve loved God or love something else. Now mind you, if you remember the description, it was just a small area, a tree. They could do whatever they wanted outside of that tree. They can eat whatever they want, presumably whenever they wanted. All of the garden and all of the trees was there, except for this one thing. But God put the tree there, God allowed Satan to be there, and God didn't stop them from, from taking of the tree. And part of the answer to that, as we learned in the series, is because of love. Love doesn't force. And I have said before, love demands freedom, and freedom makes love complicated. And part of freedom is the power to choose. In all of this, God did not stop Adam and Eve. They were free to choose Satan or God, just like we are. Free to choose Satan or God. Free to choose good or evil. Free to make choices of our own. God will not use force. God didn't, now pay attention, even though God allowed all of this, God did not want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree, but he allowed it. This is partly because in our direct relationship to God, not to each other. I'm talking about in our direct relationship to God. He's not going to hold on to anyone that doesn't want him. Eventually, Romans chapter 1 tells us that if you persist enough to say, God, I do not want you. God is a gentleman and he will let you go to your own choices. Now, he will always welcome you back. He will always appeal for you to go come back. But he is not going to hold you to him against your will. That is freedom. In essence, then, the story in Genesis 2 and in Genesis 3 deal with the first four commandments of God. 
which is my relationship to him. In other words, he's not going to force me to worship him. He's not going to force me to not take his name in vain. He's not going to force me not to have other idols or other gods. He's not going to force me to keep the Sabbath because he values freedom and he values your choice. And even though Adam and Eve got us into this mess, I love the fact that he allows us the freedom to decide for ourselves whom we're going to believe. Because when you believe something for yourself, the moment that clicks, you will hang on to God no matter what happens around you. In fact, God doesn't stop, listen to this, God doesn't stop us from doing 99 plus percent of the things we do. God doesn't say anything about how you dress today or what you wore or did not, what you had for breakfast if you have multiple cars, which car you drove here, whether you walked here or crawled here or took a bike here, God doesn't stop 99% of the things we do. We know that, sadly, from the other opposite end of all the evil that happens in the world. We would wish that he would stop a lot of it, but he doesn't. God values freedom, and he values the power of choice, which are tied together 99% of the time. But like everything in the Bible, there is another side to the story, and it's found in the last six commandments. And here are the last six commandments summarized. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. These are God's commandments, yes or no? Yes, right? God values freedom of choice, yes or no? Yes. Will God himself, and I'll pay, I'm, I'm wording this specifically, will God himself stop us if we break any of the last six? No, he's not. In very few cases, he has intervened. But for 99% of the time, if you want to break one of the last six, then God himself is not going to stop you. However, now listen, right? We all agreed that these are God's commandments. We all agreed that he himself is not going to stop you. However, why is it that you get arrested for murder, you go to prison? Why is it that if you steal a large amount of cash or whatever, you go to prison? Why is that? He didn't stop Adam and Eve. Why is it that if you murder, you go to prison? Why is it that if you commit, you know, felony larceny or stealing or robbing or whatever, you go to prison? Why is it that if you, yeah, go to prison or murder or any of the last six commandments, if you do it grievously enough, you get punished for it? Why are Christians, now some may ask this question, why are Christians, if these are the Ten Commandments, why are Christians imposing their religious beliefs on society? Shouldn't there be a separation of church and state? Why are we imposing our Ten Commandments on society? If not even God violated the choice of Adam and Eve at the tree, who are we to legislate morality today? After all, the concept of the Ten Commandments are religious. Yes or no? Yes or no? 
Right? Am I confusing you? Right? The Ten Commandments are religious. So why are we as Christians imposing these laws that come from God on society today? Now, before you think I went off the rails, <laughs> turn your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, chapter 2. The book of Romans, chapter 2. You have the Gospels, and you have the book of Acts. You have the book of Romans, my favorite book of the Bible. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. It says, For all who have sinned without the law. So now the law here is the Ten Commandments. But he's saying, For all of us who have broken the Ten Commandments without acknowledging the Ten Commandments. In other words, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of that. However, just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. So those who have violated the Ten Commandments without the law will also perish without the law, he says. Follow me here. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So you and I who follow the Ten Commandments, if we break them, we know that that law of liberty is actually going to be the measuring stick, the plumb line of which, by which we are judged by. But let's keep going. For it is verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you know the Ten Commandments or not. If you don't follow them, it does you no good. However, if you do not know that the Ten Commandments come from God, and the last six especially, you follow them, and you, and you live as a good citizen, then God honors that. Why? Because... He is the author of that, and he is the final judge whether they believe in God or not. Continue here, verse 14. It says, for when the Gentiles, by implication, these are those who do not believe in God, who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law. These not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Let me summarize this from not a religious standpoint. What this is basically saying is God has written the law, whether you believe in God or not, inside your heart you know that murder is not good. You know that stealing is not good. Part of the reason you know that is because you don't want somebody to steal from you. Right? You, don't want, you want your house, your home to be secure. So what Paul is saying, and it's what philosophers call, there is something called a natural law, which are governed by God. However, the atheist, the agnostic, those who do not believe in God, nevertheless have it written in their heart and they follow this law. How do I know that? Because people do not like murder outside of Christianity either. Jews don't like people to murder. Muslims don't like people to murder. Atheists do not want to be murdered. Atheists do not want people to steal from them. Atheists do not want you to badmouth their name and bear false witness against them. Atheists do not want you to covet their things. So these last six commandments 
for us who are Christian, are, operate on two levels. Actually, they operate this way, on two levels. One is you and I acknowledge they come from God. However, you don't need to acknowledge they come from God in order to realize that they are good. Now, I want you to take your religious hats off for about two or three minutes. You're not longer religious. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have a Bible. You don't have anything to do with religion. And now we have atheists, agnostics, Muslims, other faiths, but we don't have Christianity. Right? Pretend we live in that world. And so now we have to govern ourselves. And we decide, all right, let's come up with some rules to govern ourselves. Do you think those groups outside of the Bible and Christianity can come up with rules that say, you know what? We should respect our parents. Yes or no? Of course. All of them would agree with that. You know what? I think another rule we should have is let's not take each other's lives while we're sleeping at night. Can we agree on that? Right? Society would say yes. What about taking each other's spouses? You think we could agree on that in a society? The answer would be yes. What about not stealing all the wood I chopped for five hours? Right? Can we agree on that? What about not lying about other people to other people? You think we can agree on that? What about not coveting to the point where you lead you to steal or murder? Right? So it, you don't need God because society, other societies, have these last six commandments, whether they acknowledge them or not, they are written in their hearts, in their conscience. You think of Egypt, even though they had the Jews and Israel as slaves, do you think they went around murdering each other? Right? Do you think people were stealing from Pharaoh? And if they did steal from Pharaoh, how, how good do you think that would end up? So in other words, even though God has given us the Ten Commandments, and even though the last six we are to obey the government, they're in essence not really religious. They were given to God. How do we know that God works in the religious realm and in the secular realm? It is written right there in the Sabbath. Six days you shall work, and the seventh day belongs to who? To the Lord your God. In other words, that belongs to God. That is religious. That is my relationship. But right there, built in the fourth commandment, is my secular duty to you. I'm not going to make you work on that day. Why? The acknowledgement is we have to do secular things throughout the week. Secular is not necessarily bad. It just means that it's not necessarily part of my worship to God. Even though when I work, I try to do everything for the glory and honor of God, and so should you, right? But there are circular things, secular things that we share with society. So I can make arguments about passing laws in society that have nothing to do with the fact that I'm a Christian minister. So when the Supreme Court or any court passes a law dealing with the Six Commandments, and it's based on those commandments that we saw as secular, do you think it's a good thing when the courts pass the law that kids can in this country cannot work 40 hours a week? That was a good thing. That kids required education. That was a good thing. Because if you don't know in our history, 
kids, little kids, if they weren't part of rich families, had to work in sweatshops. And laws passed that. Now, did the government have the right to pass those laws? Yes or no? Yes, because they dealt with my relationship to each other. Now, how do you pass laws that deal with our relationship with each other? Do you want the government dictating those laws? Yes or no? No. The way we pass those laws is through persuasion and votes. Right? We together electively decide who our representatives are and who they are going to represent. And if you don't like a position of a certain state or government, then you are to cast your vote. But we're not going to be here telling you who to cast your vote for. Right? You are informed by your conscience, by your own study of the subject. By your own persuasion, you persuade you. Hopefully, for us, it's based on the word of God. But because I agree with a law that protects something in the word of God, doesn't necessarily mean it is a religious law. But this is a delicate balance. Because how do you balance yourself on a seesaw? Can you have all the weight on one side? Well, let me get more specific. Can you have all the weight on the right side? Can you have all the weight on the left side? You have to have the weight balanced. And in society today, if you go left, you're wrong. And if you go right, you're wrong. The only way is to stay centered. But here's the thing. Never let anybody tell you that you cannot advocate for moral laws that are within the realm. Let me give you some examples. Do you think as a society we should let 10-year-olds drive sports cars on the highway? Aren't you imposing your religious belief? It's not a religious belief. It's just common sense. Right? I don't want some adults driving on the highway, let alone kids. Should we let blind people drive cars? Why not? Why are you imposing your beliefs on other people? Right? There's a bunch of laws that we agree on that have nothing to do with religion, but it's for the best of society. Now I'm going to ask you a weird question. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist minister, and I'm emphasizing that because of the question I'm going to ask you. Am I allowed to drink alcohol? Am I allowed to cheat on my wife? Okay, now I hear some yeses and noes. Am I allowed to steal from the tithe and offering? It's kind of a trick question. Here's why. Because I use the word allow. I'm not allowed to do that. But I'm free to do that. I'm free to commit adultery. I'm free to steal. I'm free to use. I'm free to do whatever I, I choose not to do it. Because I love my Lord and Savior. See, God values your freedom. He values it so much that he himself made choices. Think of this. He himself made choices. And those choices he knew were going to lead him somewhere. And that somewhere was the cross where he was going to die a horrible death so that you can have the choice of eternal life. No one's going to force you to do anything. Now, if you're a kid, right, it's different. You live in. But once you're an adult, full-fledged adult, you have the choice to do whatever you want. I'm faithful to my wife because I love her and I know the principles of Scripture. 
but I am free to do whatever I want. But the love of Christ. So we'll close in Galatians chapter 5. Open your Bibles with, to Galatians chapter 5. You have Romans, then you have First and Second Corinthians, then you have Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Now he's talking to us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatas 5, versículo 13. Ready? This is God's Paul speaking to us. He says, for you were called to what? To freedom, brother. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And here is the problem in society today. Society looks at freedom as a license to sin. I am free. You cannot tell me what to do. And you're right. I cannot tell you what to do. However, society, when they agree upon rules, freedom does not mean you can do whatever you want. Because freedom with choice brings consequences. So therefore, even though we are free to do whatever we want. If I murder, society says, that's no bueno, I have to go to jail. If I steal, society says, you're going to have to either pay a fine or go to prison. Freedom, true freedom, respects the rights of others, agreed upon by society, as long as they don't violate God's law. But in that instance, then it's just my relationship with God. Let's keep reading here. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, like in Romans 13, he's not talking about the first four commandments. He's talking about the commandments that are summarized Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here is the problem for us as Adventists, is that as the courts are balancing, not going too far right and not going too far left, as the courts are doing this balance, we know that we have to keep this balance in the forefront of ourselves because we know eventually, based on Revelation, that this thing is going to swing far religious right to the point where they are going to persecute people for the fact that my relationship with God is different than their relationship. So we cannot say, let's not legislate any morality and allow the left side or the wicked side or whatever you want to call it, society to go downhill where anything goes. We're headed there. That's why the swing back this way is going to find a balance, but then they're going to push it too far. People don't know how to deal with a good thing. You know why? Because in our own minds, we don't know how to deal with it. We need the Spirit of God. We need the love of God in order to stay centered on God. Let's continue here. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Have we not been seeing a rise of that attitude in society today? Why? Because people equate freedom with license to sin. And that is not freedom. Freedom has constraints. Freedom has choices to be made and consequences to be followed. Let's continue. But I say, 
walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You want to live in a loving society? Live in the spirit. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you what? Please. See, in us, like in Romans chapter 7. I love to speed. I'm going to admit it. I'm a recovering speedaholic. Let me tell you a funny story that summarizes this. I was in New Orleans, and my wife and I have find my phone on our phones. She was in Waco visiting her mom. And she said, have you left? And I said, yes. We have CarPlay so I can share my ETA with my wife. So she knows it's about six hours from New Orleans to where we were living. And then about two hours later, she texts me. She's like, I see you're making good time. And I have forgot. She was. Then about another hour later, she said, slow down. I just love to speak. It's a thrill. And I'm a good driver. I've taken defensive courses. But if I get stopped, what am I going to get? A ticket. And if I'm going too fast, what could happen? You can get arrested, right, for going too fast over the speed limit. Are those speed laws good or bad? They're good. How did we come to that? As a society, we studied it out. Maybe not you in particular, but as a society, we can make those. Now, let me get one to that's a little bit more moral. We don't, as Adventists, advocate drinking of alcohol, especially not getting drunk. And if it was for me, you know, I would ban it from all society. But why could I do that? Why am I imposing my religious beliefs? It's not a religious. You look at the documentation and the science behind it. It is bad for society. When I was a volunteer police chaplain in College Station, I would drive with the police officers in the car. The shift started at 7 p.m. From 7 to midnight, nothing happened. Come midnight, it was like the alcohol kicked in, and 93% of the sexual assaults on Texas A&M campus are alcohol-related. That's not imposing my religious belief. Why do we have laws not to abuse children? Why do we have laws that prevent adults from having children as their spouses? Because as a society, we realize that's not good for the adult or the children, especially the children. These are not religious laws. These are natural laws. And so as we get closer to the end time, the Supreme Court and other courts are going to tightrope this balance. Yet you're going to hear Christians say, why are we imposing our religious beliefs? If it deals with the last six commandments, it has nothing to do with religious belief per se. It's natural law. It's when they get to the fourth commandment, when they tell me when I can worship and who I can worship and how I can worship. So we have to think these things through because what happens if you fall into the camp that no moral laws can be written by Christians, then you're going to fall in this camp. The camp that says, do as you please. Anything goes. Freedom means free to do whatever. Let's keep finishing here. Look what Paul says in verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, outbursts of anger, dispute, dissensions, factions, right? 
Too many people are falling into tribes, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. None of those sins he mentioned are anything to do with my relationship with God directly. They have to do with how you and I treat each other. And yes, the government can pass laws that try to minimize these. Continuing. Verse 20. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. How many of you know non-Christians? How many of you know them to be outstanding citizens? I have them all in my family, my brother and sister, outstanding citizens, never been arrested. I think never gotten even a speeding ticket. They just don't believe in Jesus Christ. But do you think they want to be murdered? Do you think they want their spouses to commit adultery? No. It's natural law. But here's the last warning. They're going to come after us saying we're imposing our religious belief when all we want is proper, which is based on and Jesus made those choices on his way to the cross. And he treated everyone, including his enemies, as you and I would like to be treated. They slapped him, he forgave them. They pierced him, he prayed for them. Take away the religious garb from Christ and he was the ultimate model citizen. Because you and I live in two worlds. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. And the choices you make determine the amount of freedom you have. Because we just read that if you walk by the Spirit, it said if you walk by the Spirit, it's like there is no law. If I don't murder, do I have reasons to feel like I'm going to get arrested for murder? If I don't speed, should I be worried about the police? Right. If I don't commit adultery, should I worry about my wife checking my phone? By the way, if you're married, your wife should have full access to your phone and your Facebook, and your Instagram, and your social media, and a bank account. Well, it should, be, it should be joint. But look, look, Jesus made choices. And all his choices led him to die for you and for me. May your choices be centered on Christ. And if you do that, the natural law will take care of itself. And so will your devotion to Jesus Christ. Because in the end, we'll live by the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your mind and love your neighbor for yourself. And here is the last phrase I'll use. And telling your neighbor the truth is the most loving thing. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you that you value our freedoms and our choices. And we have this life to make them. Father, there is a life beyond this life. And I pray that we can share the truth we have in love so that we can bring our friends and family and loved ones with us to heaven. We are the remnant. And the remnant is to call God's children home because their Heavenly Father misses them. 
Father, give us a heart of love. Give us a heart of grace. And may we live in society as great citizens, not only of this country, but more importantly, our heavenly country. In your son's precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.